Welcome back, Sega fans, to the often imitated but never duplicated Sega guys. I'm Dan the Mega Driver, and here's the bug to my pepper. It's James the Sagaholic. How you doing, mate? You're looking very snazzy in your Shiro show, if I do say so myself. Thank you very much, mate. I'm doing very well. And likewise, I see you're also sporting some Panzer Dragoon-themed Shiro attire. Um, no, chuff with these, mate. Absolutely brilliant. Loving it. Repping the, the favourite game on there as well. So, no, absolutely superb. How about yourself, mate? How you doing? Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. Um, recording right now. You know, we like to timestamp when we record these, don't we? What is it? The coldest, the coldest night of the year, apparently. Apparently, the Allegedly. coldest January the January the seventeenth for fourteen years or something like that. So a bit chilly, <laughs> but you know, I'm in the t-shirt, you know, for the visuals, get the guns out. <laughs> don't think these qualify as guns anymore, mate. But um, war but pistols. Aye, no. <laughs> that's pretty apt, actually. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but aye. no, it's, it's good to get behind the mic again, mate. As I say, second recorder of the year, back at it, um, and a topic that kind of came about last minute. Usually, I'm the one that, that throws the last minute topics at you, but um, I think you kind of came into the chat was it earlier today or, or yesterday and suggested this one? So, I know what I'm saying, yeah, there you go. <laughs> see, so I mate, these days are all just merging at each other now, it's like try to keep up, but. Aye, we've got Bloggo next week, so um, we've got, obviously, this one tonight, something yeah. very uh, very good to discuss, but um, yeah, it's going to be Sega Saturn-related shocker. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I've got the Shiro, so it's, you've had a little pick-up, haven't you, mate? You know, if, um, I think by the time this says, you would have shared, hopefully we would have aired your uh, your Sega Saturn demo this episode, and uh, I felt, think you felt inspired to, to pick that up. Yep, it is the bootleg sampler. So that was the the demo disc that was packaged with the the PAL and uh, US Saturn consoles at launch. Um, this the European the PAL version's got a slightly different cover. I think if I remember the US ones, it kind of mirrors the, the the kind of actual select screen for the games, and it, it's a kind of like a kind of brown paper kind of effect. But yeah. Yeah, um, loving that. Absolutely. Nine quid from eBay. Um, discs are pretty good. Not that it really matters because <laughs> I've not got a disc drive. But um, yeah, when I was making the video, um, I did get kind of pangs of nostalgia about it. Just remembering all the kind of the good times that I had with it. And I thought, I wonder if there's one one on eBay for a decent price. I expected to go on and like it was like 20, 30 quid, which just would not have happened. But when I seen that one, and it said that the, the condition was acceptable. And I'm like, oh, looks okay in the pictures. I'll take a punt on it. Um, and, and glad I did. So that'll sit beside the Virtua Fighter, Virtua Fighter 2 and, and Sega Rally on the, the shelf beside the, the console. Sweet, mate. Um, you shared that uh, that other listing that was on eBay, which was the console with the Virtua Fighter pack in, the launch console, yeah. which, uh, yeah, the box was amazing for that, but um, it was 200, 200, 300 quid or something like that, absolutely crazy. 300 quid on the nose, mate, I believe the shipping might have been free, which always makes me laugh with these <laughs> things, it's like, you know, it's like they're doing you a favour with the free shipping part of it, um, but no, it's, it was good to see that as well, because that was that kind of slip cover that had... Like obviously Akira's doing his pose, but they've kind of obviously photoshopped or whatever they're covering. Was at that time the 
the actual box into his hand kind of thing. Yeah. So he's like punching it forward at you. But no. Um a thing in that as well was that we'll get into the show eventually, don't worry. Um was the, the Panzer Dragoon mail away demo disc. Yeah. Now that, that was totally that. that unlocked a memory because I'd forgot about that. And I remember like, see looking at it and see the pictures. I remember my uncle sending away for that. I remember him getting that through. And it's got a kind of spiel on the inside, the kind of you know, congratulations on owning a Sega Saturn, you're about to experience blah blah blah. It's like you know, marketing spiel about the the game and whatnot. But I that was amazing to see that. So yeah, I mean three hundred quid in that condition with the box. It's only a hundred quid less in retail, so <laughs> then launch, yeah. Still uh, crazy price though. Um certain yeah. collectors, hey, you know, the amount the amount of money people pay for this console, which uh isn't the most fondly talked about at times. <laughs> it's got a bit of recognition these days, which kind of brings us on to the the matter at hand. But um yeah, I think this what this this came about just and it seems like I brought this up because I said I felt inspired from recent conversations on social media to kind of tackle this one. But we have actually got this one on the list, on the on the never-ending list for we'll ping at each other, Alan Partridge gifts, and I've got a pod idea. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the bunk in Sega Saturn Myths has been on has been on the agenda for a while. But uh, mm -hmm. I think I think the conversations on social media recently brought this one forward as far as I was concerned. Yeah. And and it is, it is something that the, the list that we've got here, you know, it is quite extensive. Um, and as I say, we're not here to, you know, name names or who said this or they said that. It's more a case of there's certain things, even before, you know, the, the, the kind of conversations that we've had recently um, and the things that we've seen, that, that this was a topic we wanted to cover. So, yeah, this is... Um, debunking the sega saturn's myths uh, yeah hope you enjoy it yeah it's 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 something that seems to go away a little bit because as we know saturn's been getting a, a lovely little renaissance with uh, people mm -hmm. discovering it uh people finding out these games and the homebrew community as we've seen in recent weeks has been absolutely thriving and it's just getting bigger and bigger with translations fan hacks fan mods and entirely new ports all coming over and then all of a sudden it seems like some of the old bad habits have started popping up again and yeah. yeah, it's it's always been something that kind of grates a little bit because you always seem to. It feels like we're managing mm. that revisionist view of the Saturn, the, the the view that isn't kind of truthful. That's kind of this hearsay, and someone said it, and someone else has picked it up because too much of the narrative around the Saturn, especially in the socials, on YouTube, especially. You know years ago and it still carries on it's, it's made by content creators you know that just copy what they've heard down the line and it's people that aren't familiar with the console people that you know haven't gone and and delved into its library and really found out what, what made it magical and i think that's the that's the frustration there and mm -hmm. we said it we said it time and time again mate you know you don't have to have been there you know there's there's people like pandemonium gaming uh pat shiro those two you know panda was like he i think he was born after the sega saturn wasn't he but that's i'm sure panda's joked that he was in nappies when the saturn came out or something so <laughs> yeah. you know and, and he's a great example mate because you know he's he's come to this he's experienced the system he's played the games he's looked at the history of it he's looked at the architecture of it he's understood it and he's went in and he's looked at these 
smacked that about. He's went in and he's looked at these games, um, you know, fresh with fresh eyes, with no judgment, but obviously knowing what's out there in terms of a narrative. And he's he's become one of, if not the best documentary style content creators for the Saturn. His videos are second to none. Yeah. So it can be done, but for people to go out there, and this is going to sound very similar to the conversation that I had with David Mel. And I suppose to that extent, maybe it is good in that way because obviously that was on Editor's Corner and that's on on you know Shiro and we've, we've put that out on our community tab and it's just done well and had great feedback. But I think... I think we'll put that in the show notes as well on this yeah, one. Yeah, because it's, it's a relevant discussion um, and I think some of what's in that we'll cover here, but that was a lot deeper and to hear Mel and Dave's views on it was, was fascinating. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I just think it does come across as lazy. Um, and as I've said before, the content that you're creating is is a legacy, right? And some people might go, oh, shut up. You know, it's like, no, we're just sitting behind the mic doing this for fun. And we do this for fun. We enjoy doing it, but we've got a passion for doing it that the reason why we do it is we want to educate and inform. And I think if all you're going to do is get behind the mic where your mates hit record and, and just regurgitate what you've heard, but not actually have any experience to, I mean, it doesn't have to be experience from 1995. It could be experience for 2005, 2015, 2019, 2024. It doesn't matter when it is. But please, before you sit down and regurgitate these myths and these lies and these kind of hearsay stories, play the games for yourself. Go in with an open mind. Yeah, the graphics aren't going to blow you away. Still blow me away at times, but that's me personally. I know, obviously, I speak for yourself and... The Shiro boys as well are big fans, obviously. But, you know, just go in and, and just let the Saturn just work its magic. And you know what? See, if you, if you go in with an open mind that's not for you, fine, fair enough. But at least you can respect the fact that you tried, you know. But whenever you get people who just sit behind the mic and regurgitate what they've heard, that's never, I think, there's a problem. And it's a narrative that... It goes back to what Mel said on Editor's Corner, you know, you know, these narratives have been repeated about how bad Sega was, why Sega failed, why the Saturn failed, why it's so bad. But where is our narrative? Where is the narrative of the guys who were who were living these machines, who played these games when they were new, who took the time later on? Maybe they picked one up at a sale in 1998 for 50 quid with a bunch of games. We're still fresh to them. They might have come for a Mega Drive. It might have been at the end of its life, but they still came to it at that point. Where's their narrative? Where's the narrative of the people who picked it up maybe after Dreamcast? You know, there's, there's so many permutations and, and angles you can come at it, but the main thing is, is please just go with an open mind and try it first and then sit down and have a conversation about it. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And and it shouldn't be a bad thing to say, you know, that you were there if you were, you know, mm -hmm. going back to it and reviewing it. And I think part there's, there's two things that frustrate a lot. And the first thing is, you know, you mentioned the games and people need to try the games, and that's one side of it. The other side is kind of the narrative that people weave just based off essentially hearsay. And they've seen mm. they've seen one video say it, so they'll repeat it. And it's and it and it sounds bad. And I don't want to start pointing figures or or, or 
you know, deriding people's content, but it is lazy because that information exists out there. You know, when we talk about debunking these myths today, this isn't information that we've really had to go out of our way and dig up. And yeah, we've been working, we've been working this content for, for four years now, mid on YouTube for, for just over a year and a half or just over a year. But this, this information is out there. It's really not that hard to find the interviews with uh, Hideki Sato, with uh, Ira Majiri-san, um, with Tom Kalinske. You know, the, 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 the bits and pieces are out there. And the fact that a lot of these myths still endure today it's frustrating when the the evidence and from the people that that actually designed the hardware and worked on the games you know it is all out there you know it is it is lazy but and by the same token it shouldn't be a bad thing to say that that we were there you know mm -hmm. um as we're saying people can go in and they can they can learn and they can lo love the console but there is there is a narrative that is kind of been downtrodden or, or or quietened down you know so it's, it's almost made been made like you know your gatekeeping if you were saying you're there and, and i think mel said it perfectly we're not trying to say why it's better that we were there but we're trying to give you more context on why we love the things that we do and why the saturn mm -hmm. was so important to us you know it's not a bad thing to say that we were with the saturn when it was new and contemporary when Virtua Fighter 2 was arguably the best looking game on any home platform, you know, in Sega Rally was such a revelation that it spawned so many rally games and none of them could really hold a candle to it. You know, yeah. you look back on that, that, that 1995 or 1996 over here in, in, in the UK and it came out and then all of a sudden it was like everyone was gushing over it, but because it was on the Saturn, it was still kind of uncool because, you know, the PlayStation <laughs> was the media darling so then you had all the PlayStation's attempts to try and create, you know, a, a, a rally game. And there was loads. And, you know, the more successful ones were like V-Rally and Colin McRae. But even they weren't didn't quite capture that magic. And we saw all that. And we saw it all play out. We saw Pan's Dragoon and its sequels come out and really just kind of wow with their visuals and storytelling. And they do it in ways that, you know, we look at it now and it seems primitive. But they, we kind of take for granted what Pan's Dragoon gave us. And seeing that play out, in real time, you know, actually watching that transpire, it was magical. And that's why we, we banned this drum and say that, that we were there. We were in, you know, we were in the vanguard. We, we were in the trenches in the console war. You know, I had friends that were PlayStation owners and they'd show me their mm -hmm. magazine bashing the Saturn. I don't think we ever saw that sort of thing in the, in the Saturn magazines. It was a bit more respectful, but we were just like, well, no, this is why my stuff is good. And we were, we, and I suppose that is lives within us today is why we have that passion is because we were, you know, in the minority and we were, we were, we were having to fight back tooth and nail to say, no, I haven't picked up this, this, this awful black box that, that the, the mainstream magazines or the PlayStation magazines keep telling you it's actually really, really good. And I wish more mm -hmm. people would understand why it is good. And the thing is people that played it back in the day when I, I had friends that I swapped my Saturn for a PlayStation for a while. And that's how I played Final Fantasy seven through and to end the first time and fell in love with that game. And by the same token, my friends fell in love with the Saturn. Um, same with N64. I swapped it with friends and they, a lot of them ended up buying Saturn. So being there and having those memories is is important so that 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 context is is it shouldn't be lost it shouldn't be you know hushed down um and that's why that's what people will get from us yeah and i think it's as well that there's this accusation i see as well that 
if you champion the Saturn today that you're trying to rewrite its narrative and make out that it was successful, none, neither you or I or any Saturn fandom creator has ever tried to say Saturn was a success. No. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but, you know, it's it, if you point out these positive things, whether it's the community mods, whether it's a homebrew, whether it's the hardware mods, whether it's games in the Japanese library, there are people who go, all right, so because all these things are good today, that makes it a success. And I'm like, no, it, it's, it's enjoying a, a retro renaissance, which is true. Um, and it's just, going back to that point that you said about, and again, we repeated this on the editor's corner, you know, it was like, there is nothing wrong, as you said, by saying you were there. We should be proud, and we are, that we were there, but we don't use it to gatekeep. We use it to try and inspire, to educate, to inform. And one of the brilliant lines that Mel used, we're not saying you don't understand. We're saying, please understand. Yeah, And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. People, I think certain people get their back up whenever they, they see the Saturn being defended. It's, it's almost like it's, it's meant to be downtrodden, but we're not trying to rewrite history. We're not trying to make the Saturn out to be something that it's not. The why the Saturn failed has been done to death a million times. And it was actually someone replied to the, the comments on that podcast with myself and, and Mel and Dave. And they said exactly, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant, the time has come to stop talking about why the Saturn failed. You know, stop, just stop doing it. We know why it failed. We don't need to keep having new videos yeah. over and over again. Let's start talking about what it did well because it did a lot of things well. Doesn't make it a success, but commercial success is not a prerequisite to a console being good or bad. Absolutely. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point there, and I think that will probably lead us into into the into the myths that we're going to tackle, mate. But um, yeah, you talk about rewriting history, and we're not rewriting history at all. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to nope. we're here to kind of relive history, to educate, you know, share our history, share the console's history, share things. And we don't know everything at all. Um, we've never no, we will we're still learning. That we do. We're still <laughs> learning. We learn different things all the time. And if you listen back to some of our older content, you'll notice that some of the views have uh, have changed as we've learned more and more stuff. So every, everyone is a student in this. But we've never once said, you know, the, the Saturn was successful in Japan, where they finally outsold Nintendo, albeit yep. completely blitzed by the PlayStation eventually after Final Fantasy VII launched. But um, no, we've never said that it was a, a success because we know it won't, because we, we lived through the heartbreak of them discontinuing <laughs> it and, and moving on to the Dreamcast and leaving a big gaping void in the in the, <laughs> in the Sega market for 18 months in the West. And hence, yeah. we ended up buying import Dreamcast. But that's by the by. And the irony is that we're not trying to rewrite history, but it's a lot of the narrative out there that is rewriting history with mm -hmm. stuff that is factually incorrect or just plain false. And um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll get into some of those, mate, because they're quite they're quite interesting. I think we've covered these in separate conversations before, and we had the you know the response to Imagery, We we actually touched on a few of these, but I think it's good to have this under this banner. And as as 
again good friend of, of the show dave Sekasat and dave says everything bears repeating so if people haven't seen that stuff hopefully this is a this is an eye-opener and hopefully hopefully everyone comes away with this you know positive um and and knowing something maybe that they didn't and if, if we've got something wrong by all means you know we're, we're in social media we're active on in the comments on here you know this is this is a community this isn't this isn't it's not a dictatorship we're not telling no. you <laughs> exactly and i think that's one of the big things is that again that can get lost that that's what we along with shiro with mel with southern sega gentlemen with saturn junkyard with all these kind of guys that, that are obviously big fans of the saturn we're trying to foster a community because as dave says many times we didn't have one whenever we had the Saturn. <laughs> it was like you and your mate, if you were lucky, and that was it. So we're trying to kind of create something that maybe, the again, the PlayStation owners had in its heyday. <laughs> so they had a community. We didn't. We had each other. So, um, yeah, we're just trying to kind of foster that community, you know, pass on that experience, pass on a bit of that knowledge, pass on what we've learned since, and just try and, you know, make people see that there's more to the Sega Saturn than why it failed. Yes, Saturn communities make they're like red squirrels. You know, PlayStation communities are like the grey squirrels, you know. <laughs> it took over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now finally, in the modern day, they're trying to get the back, the red squirrels back out into, into the wild. <laughs> It's a good analogy, that. Yeah. It's a good analogy, that. <laughs> so, mate, the top one I've got on my list at the moment is um, it's one that we hear quite a lot. And to be honest, this is one that I can kind of forgive to an extent uh, because we didn't have the concrete information. But I think in recent years, at least within the last three, three years, we know the truth, uh, truth on this has been confirmed and it's been corroborated several times since. And the first one is the Saturn was designed as a 2D machine. You hear it a lot. You know, when people were eulogizing about the Saturn, it was designed as 2D. It couldn't do 3D. We'll get onto that a little bit later. The Saturn was designed as a 2D machine. Sega didn't think of uh, of developing 3D in their console. Um, and that is completely false. Um, Sato and Irimajiri have both confirmed that in the, from the very start, the Sega Saturn was to have 3D capability. Now, I think... There's two ways that this is phrased. Saying that it was designed as a 2D machine is false. Saying that it prioritised 2D, perhaps not so much. And I think Sato and Irimajiri probably conflict on this a little bit, don't they? Yeah, I think the kind of the wording was it was a kind of like a 2D machine with 3D capabilities was one of the the kind of lines that was used. I think that but, was Irimajiri, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, Whereas Sato but, said that we they tried to do both. I think was yeah. Was was Sato's not? What was it? No, Irimajiri said that they, they tried to do both and did neither well. If I remember, was the the line that was used? Can I get my get my interviews mixed up? Yeah, do you know? I think I think that yeah, I think Irimajiri said that, or, or Sato said something similar. But obviously, both 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 of them agree. Both of them have said multiple times that is because I've got three or four interviews going around my head at the moment, as you're saying that. But both of them said, <laughs> yes, it was a 2D machine because at the time when the Saturn was being developed, 2D was still, you know, the 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 main way of developing games. And it wasn't until Virtua Fighter came along that the industry shifted almost overnight. 
um, and yeah, and recommendation to anyone that wants to watch our virtual fighter video that we talk about that. But um, yeah, so 2D was the primary objective, but Sega were forward looking enough to, to to add 3D capability in there. And I think, mate, if you look at the if you look at the time scales, you know, and you look at what else came to market, um, the 3DO and Jaguar are out. You know, virtual racing existed. You know, Sega knew where the industry was going. Um, now, I think you you read excerpts from stuff, and the the, the PlayStation um, kind of novelization that talks about how that was developed is quite telling because Namco had a very similar view to Sega in that they didn't believe that the public would want the sort of 3D that consoles were capable of. Mm -hmm. And it kind of wasn't until they kind of saw some of the demos on PlayStation that they kind of moved in that direction and said, oh, okay, that that's kind of good enough because both Namco and Sega were used to model one, model two, system, system 11 or system 22, um, you know, the original Ridge Racer board. Um, but I don't think they thought that the mainstream gaming industry was ready for 3D. Aye, it was. I mean, if you look at the the way 3D was, you said in consoles, you know, even on like home computers. I remember there was a game on the Amiga called Stunt Car Racer. Yeah, and it and it tried to do like 3D kind of tracks and whatnot. And again, it was all kind of flat shaded, two tone, and it moved at about like eight frames per second. If you were lucky, <laughs> it was just it was so janky. And it, at that point, you couldn't ever have imagined that kind of that kind of visual style going any faster out with obviously if you've seen virtual racing mind blowing but i the, the the industry at that point was in a transitional period as we said before the problem that sega had was they were trying to keep up with an industry that didn't know where it wanted to go itself yeah. it was going at breakneck speed in terms of innovation new ideas coming all the time new technology coming all the time so sega just for doing their best to just try and keep up but Sega's intent was that the Saturn would have some form of 3D capabilities. Now, the other myth that we'll probably go on to in due course is the old GPU flung yeah, out the last on, minute. That's, on, that's the next one. But <laughs> um, you know, but I it, it definitely it was not designed to be a beefed up Mega Drive. I think that's what people look at it and think it was just a beefed up Mega Drive that in a panic they flung in 3D capabilities and it certainly wasn't the case that the Saturn had some element of 3D in there, albeit the decision was made to aid its geometry engine and as I say, we'll go, we'll go on to that in, in due course. Yeah, yeah um, and this it, is where it kind of crosses over to the, to the next point but you know, if you look at the, the specifications and the capabilities of the video, video display processors, the VDPs, both of them um, there's nothing in there that suggests that they couldn't do, you know, I, I both of them are kind of exactly the same as they were initially. Um, mm. And we'll get onto the changes at the moment. But if you look at the specs, you know, they, the Saturn was designed for 3D in mind. The thing is, you only have to look at the industry, what it was like at the time, because the 3DO was out at the end of 1993 in America. The 3DO company actually pitched it to Tom Kalinske. So, Sega were fully aware of what the 3DO, a fully 3D-focused console, was trying to do. And yeah, it was very expensive and it wasn't a huge success, but it existed. The Jaguar was on its way with Cybermorph. You know, that was... 
where did you learn to fly? That was a console which, yeah, <laughs> it was it, it ultimately uh, didn't do as well as Atari would have hoped. But, you know, it was, at the time, it, it was 3D focused, or at least it gave the impression that it was. And you've got to imagine that if you're, if you're Sega and you talk about the limited... 3D ability, they've got a 2D machine that does some, whether it's in Jury's view that it does some 3D, or whether it's Sato's view that they tried to do both 2D and 3D, it would have done enough free, it would have had enough 3D horsepower to at least rival those systems. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think at the time, probably before the PlayStation, that probably would have been enough. Yeah, and as we've spoken about before, obviously Virtua Fighter changed things almost overnight you know, shifted the axis completely. But I I mean, the, the performance, as you say, VDP1 and VDP2 were in there. They were part of the design. Yeah. You know, that that wasn't changed. So, you know, again, we're going to go on to it shortly when it comes to the kind of the whole CPU and GPU setup, but it would have more than, than bettered what the JAG and the 3DO were offering. But yeah, it's, it's it's one of the most annoying myths, and it's one of the most commonly peddled ones. Is that ah yeah, it was a two D machine, but they just threw in three D. And it's like no, no, it just. <laughs> and again, it goes back to that point about laziness because that information isn't hard to find. Yeah, you know, like and again, the the the, the translations that have been done, the guys at Shiro have put you know the Sato interview up there, the Irimajiri interview. We've discussed the Edie Majiri and Sato interviews. There's tons out there. If you don't want to listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube channel, Sega Retro's there. You know, one of the biggest, you know, corroborations and collaborations of information about Sega on the internet. It's, this, it's not hard information to find. Yeah, yeah, it's not. But I think that wraps a nice segue there, mate, into, into the second myth. And I see it all the time. And I've read so many articles just this week. It must have bumped into about three or four. They said the Saturn could only focus on 2D, which you couldn't, as we just said, until a second GPU was added at the last minute. Now, we all know that there's two video display processors. We didn't, we hadn't established the whole CPU, GPU build then, obviously. No. The, no. The, Console game was all like the Wild West. You know, we didn't even have the concepts of console generations back then. <laughs> but yes, there's two visual video display processors in the Sega Saturn. But once again, as confirmed by everyone that was involved with the Sega Saturn project, they were there from the very start. They were there when the system was initially designed. VDP1 and VDP2 designed to work in harmony a lot like and I think the idea was, I think this is in a Sato interview, that the idea was to make it look like an arcade board, which yes. has various chips. And yep. it's it's an it's an approach that is really, and I said this before, it's very, very similar to the Super Nintendo. The Super Nintendo, in terms of the main CPU's clock speed, you know, the, the CPU clock speed in the Super Nintendo is something like two, two megahertz compared to the Mega Drive, which was seven megahertz. So the Mega Drive's blast processing was basically talking about the fact that it was so much faster than what they so it could brute force a lot of than Super Nintendo could do because the Super Nintendo had a bunch of special chips and special, you know, software. Mode 7 in the Super Nintendo is effectively what VDP2 does, but VDP2 is Mode 7 on absolute steroids. Instead of one plane, you have 
up to up to six that can be stuck in you know all, all over the place they can be stacks they can... so yes there's two gpus or vdps in the sega san but that's not what was thrown at the last minute because can you imagine <laughs> if the place if the saturn only had say vdp2 that, would, that you couldn't do anything with that that would literally just no. be background planes oh exactly you know it's in, in vdp1 which is we've seen was mainly used for Tomb Raider on yeah. Saturn. And there's footage out there of if you actually break it up and, and and move around, you can see the different sprites essentially yeah. that because the Saturn essentially uses sprite manipulation to to do 3D. Yeah. And it, it just basically shows them all break it's like it's like inception. Yeah. <laughs> it just it all break it just all breaks away and there's like gaps and stuff like that. But yeah, what you said there about the fact that CPU and GPU were not terms that were used by console gamers back then. And again, that goes back to that whole thing about kind of rewriting the narrative and saying things that weren't true because there's a kind of a caveat there to say that because the second SH2 was added, wasn't thrown in at the last minute. It was like, it's not like five minutes before they went, right, throw another one in. Just chuck it in. But because the second SH2 essentially helps handle 3D geometry and calculations, that some try and use it as a kind of get out to say, well, it's helping it with the graphics. So essentially it is, but no, an SH2 is, it's, it's, a, it's a CPU. So, you know, it's like the, the time frame isn't exactly locked in as to when the second SH2 was added, but if you think about getting that change signed off, implementing it, R and D in it, manufacturing it, retail packaging it, and shipping it, it wasn't last minute. Yeah. It, it would have easily, I would say, be about twelve months plus. Oh yeah, prior to launch. Now that is just my hunch. Try to take these things into account. If anybody knows the exact time frame, comments X whatever, let us know. But it wasn't last minute. Um, and again. I've heard podcasts this week that, you know, have, have even quoted it as well, saying that, you know, there was a, a second, I think the exact wording was, it was a second uh, GPU flung in. It might have been a CPU, but I think it was a GPU at the last minute. And you're like, like you, you're not even sure of what story you're telling. <laughs> you know, it, it's, and it's things like that that has led to is, is doing this. And it's like, yeah, it was a second SH2, it wasn't added at the last minute, and it helped the Saturn with 3D calculations and geometry, essentially. Yeah, so essentially it wasn't a GPU, it was a, a CPU. And yeah, so it, and it was the reason why it was done and why they were able to do that is because the, the SH2s were actually designed to work in series, and Hitachi were were actually quite happy for Sega to do that. That, that was part no of Yeah. <laughs> well, they got they got double bubble for every Sega Saturn soul, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the Hitachi SH2s were designed to to, to basically be co-processors. You know, the Saturn was the first, you know, we talk about yesterday there's a single CPU and a single GPU, but you know, G CPUs these days are multi-cores, multi-threads. You know, the, the Saturn was kind of um ahead of its time as Sega was, you know, so far ahead that they were, weren't quite doing it correctly in some ways, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a GPU. All of everything that the Saturn does 
in its retail form, it did, you know, in its initial design before the CPU was added. What the second SH2, the second CPU did do was allow it to calculate polygons, geometry, a bit for any, anything that you think that a CPU does today. It was basically rather than, you know, overclocking it to, you know, double the speed, which probably would have, wouldn't have been possible. It was more economical to, to get a, a second. And, and the other option would have been to get a replacement processor. Um, which also would have been, they would have had to break off the deal with Hitachi. They'd have had to completely re-R&D and look at what the instruction set is, would do. So it was easy just to pick up another SH2 because they were designed to work in tandem and allow that to calculate the geometry. It didn't mean that suddenly this new SH2 meant that the Saturn could do 3D because it already did. It meant that it could do more, draw more polygons, manage more sprites, you know, without getting overloaded. So you manage more instructions. So that, and it's an important point to make again, because saying it's added a GPU, yeah. And, and so I think we've had this conversation with people in the past where they say, well, it's just semantics, but it's it's more than that. It's, again, it comes back to this point of rewriting history. If you say it added, it added a second GPU added, it's basically confirming the previous falsehood that the Saturn wasn't a 3D machine, that it couldn't do 3D at all, which is false. Saying that it's a second CPU to enhance the existing 3D capabilities is the truth. And that confirms, again, that Saturn was designed to do 3D, albeit slightly limited by the initial slower single CPU architecture. Yeah. And the thing is, I was just thinking as well, then, mate, it might even have been more than 12 months before because, think about it, they've not just had the motherboard designed and made and then looked at it and went, hmm, we need a second SH2, I think. <laughs> see see that wee space between the, the RAM cart slot and the soundboard, the sound chip? Just stick it there. There had to be a space for it to sit beside <laughs> the first one. So the, the motherboard was designed with that in mind that, it, that they would sit beside each other as a setup. So, again, they've not went all the way down the road with one SH2 and two VDPs and then went, hmm, <laughs> stick another one in there. Well, where? And just, yeah. just put it up. Just, just find a blank space and sit it there. It's <laughs> not how it works. You know, just come on. Use, yeah, use a, bit, a bit of common sense into it, really. It's, we're going to go off a bit of a, a slight tangent, but completely related now. Because I'm, I'm just, it just makes me think back to a conversation I had with with John Linneman uh, and uh, MD Shock John Harrison uh, mm. recently, um, because we talked about when we talked about the Virtual Fighter, obviously having such a, an impact on the PlayStation architecture, um, and John's view was John Linneman's view was. But well, that's impossible, you know. It would, it would have, for them to get to the working prototype that they had at C Winter CES 1994 from when Virtua Fighter released in October would have been in, impossible. And uh, you know, John from MD Shock said, "Well, the real thing was that they had a prototype version of the PlayStation, which did 3D, and they had a version that did 2D, and they managed to finally sell." the idea of 3d to developers and push forward with that idea um based on virtual fighter um but the actual silicone the actual prototype was done you know months before and you've got to imagine that since sony are 
you know, trying to push it would because uh, um, oh, probably his name escapes me right now. The father of PlayStation, uh, Ken Kutaragi, Ken Kutaragi, was desperate to push 3D, and not everyone was buying into it because, as we said earlier, people were. So, so, you know, the industry was solidly 2D focused based on tradition. Um, but he's trying to get people was buying, showing it to Namco and all these other, you know, software houses. And Sega were aware of that. Sega were well aware of that probably before Virtua Fighter came along. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they definitely had that SH2 in scope well before the end of 1993. Probably about the same time they finalized the, uh, the PlayStation 1 design. Yeah, you know, last, last minute, mate. <laughs> Flung in. That's what, what you do. You just throw, throw it. Just, I just take the four screws, open up, and just fling it in. <laughs> yeah. Madness. But yeah, I think it's it's. I mean, it's important to note here. They, the 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 falsehood is that a second CPG, GPU was added. It's not a GPU. It's a CPU. So there we go. Um, no more mistakes, people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm hoping that, the, yeah, as, as we say, mate, I'm hoping that this is, you know, people just take something away from this. Um, this isn't trying to try run, it's just kind of to just build a better collaborative and accurate history around around the Saturn, mate. So hopefully that's yeah. what people are taking from this. Aye, exactly. It's, it's not, and we said that before we had record, mate, we're not just going to sit here and rant, but, <laughs> you know, it's like nobody's going to listen to our rant. Um, but, it's, 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 it's a topic that we are we are passionate about, um, and whenever you see these things getting used time and time again, there comes a point where you've just got to speak up. Yeah. The next one, the next one's quite an interesting one. The Saturn was underpowered, and um, this is an interesting one purely because um, it's looking at certain examples. So was the Saturn underpowered? I don't think it was. And I'm, I think it's been proven that it isn't. Um, was it badly designed? Arguably less. Was it difficult to code for? Absolutely. That's well documented <laughs> that it was difficult to code for. Um, but when you look at the results, and I think what the examples that I always come back to are kind of the the PlayStation 1 ports that came to the Sega Saturn. Die Hard, Die Hard Trilogy, for example, is pretty 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 poor on the Saturn. You know, I, I do love that version for various reasons, but it's you know obviously a notable step down from the from the PlayStation. Yeah, but I think what's lost a lot is not just the difficulty in coding for the PlayStation, but in the fact that the Saturn and the PlayStation, albeit they the the one common thread that they share is the fact that they neither of them renders polygons. As we know them today, you know the and, and John Linneman has said this before. They both rendered polygons completely differently, and they weren't true polygons. And even Sat- Hideki Sato said that PlayStation Saturn didn't do polygon generation; they did pseudo polygons. But mm-hmm. uh, um, aside from that, they were completely different. You're talking a single processor. To, to two CPUs working in tandem, uh, a single GPU. The PS the PS one did have a, a, a graphics processor compared to you know two VDPs and and, and other and other display processors. Um, but even more than that, you've got something that is dealing with triangles versus something that's dealing with sprites. You've got something that's dealing with uh, 
something that so you've got squares versus triangles you've got um you've got shape you've got those triangles versus polygons which the versus sprites which the satin works with um and i think the proof is in two things that demonstrates that this isn't correct the first is if you look at the sega satin spreadsheet and see what it's capable of it definitely is more than a match for a playstation one there you know when you look at the the, the theoretical ceiling that it could achieve Mm -hmm. based on the on its architecture it's higher than that of the playstation one the other thing is and the reason why you see obviously the proof is in the pudding is that you see games where it absolutely does seem to be the case that the sand is capable of this sort of stuff you look at the games that you know the argument for the Saturn is underpowered is saying right games like die hard trilogy you know like castlevania symphony night run worse than the sand but we play it back in the opposite direction Games like Grandia, games like Thunder Force 5, um, all these games that are dead or alive. The games that were ported from Saturn to PlayStation had similarly undesirable results on that, again, because of the incompatibility between the two, which shows, yeah, yes, the Saturn wasn't compatible with the PlayStation 1. It was a completely different beast. It wasn't economically designed. It was difficult to program for, but underpowered. Look, we've got we've just seen Metal Gear Solid, Final Fantasy VII, and before that we saw Unreal running on Sega Saturn hardware. Come on, <laughs> yeah, it's. I think again, people just look at a side by side comparison mainly with the PlayStation ports and pass judgment that because the Saturn doesn't look as nice as the PlayStation versions or run as smooth, that it's underpowered. Now, I think what doesn't help Saturn is that. At that complex setup that obviously you know Saturn has eight processors, you know, with, you know <laughs> but everything running in tandem, singing and dancing together, we've seen the results it can do. But the system doesn't deserve to be labeled as underpowered just because certain developers couldn't get the best out of it. So yeah, diehard arcade's a good example. The Saturn version's really, really sluggish. You know, the the Hard Trilogy, yeah, Die Hard Trilogy. Aye, Die Hard Arcade. That's because I was looking. That's because I know. I'm like that's because we were. I was looking back at the old reviews because we were doing the the the, the new one. Um, I Die Hard Trilogy. Um, you know the the Die Hard Two section that the airport yeah. terminal can be quite painful to play. But on the flip side, you look at examples of whenever the Saturn was running in total harmony. And yeah, it may only have been Sega's internal teams that got the best out of it. Some with, some without the SGL. But, you know, games like Knights, games like Panzer Dragoons Vi, Virtua Fighter 2, you know, Sega Rally, Virtua Cop, Virtua Cop 2, and, and people are going, these are all arcade ports. But yeah, at that time, arcade was where the future was. That was what, you, if your system could show it could mimic that, that level of technology, you were doing well. And yeah, the, the audience was gravitating towards games with more content and more depth, and that's another topic for another discussion. But yeah, it, it's not underpowered, but sadly, some of the examples of games in a comparison basis um, didn't help it. But I mean, you, you look at like, the resolution the Saturn could run at. Okay, so in, that, um, in the Big 3 video that went out a while back now, at the time of recording, it'll 
it was only recently, but when it comes out, this video, it'll have been a while back. But a 704 by 480 on, on Saturn, and it's a 704 by 512 in PAL territories because of that PAL optimization to get it running the same, you know, speed and, and size, no borders as on, on PAL consoles. But Virtua Fighter 2 on the Sega Saturn, resolution wise, outperforms Model 2 on sheer resolution. Yeah. So, you know, the Saturn obviously makes several cutbacks in terms of 2D backgrounds, removal of certain visual aspects, the lighting system. But it's still an incredibly impressive port, nonetheless. But it's hitting a resolution that's way beyond anything that was being done at, at that time. Yeah. So again, it may have taken the absolute best at Sega to make the Saturn sing, but when it did, my God, it's, it, it had some amazing results. But unfortunately, people look at Wipeout Die Hard Trilogy, Wipeout 2097. You know, they even look at Tomb Raider, despite it coming out on Saturn first. The PS1 version is is often held up as, and I suppose in terms of lighting, slightly smoother edges, but a better texture work, frame rate. You know, the, the PS1 version is that is superior in that regard. But again, you know, it's you can't just t- take a comparison of a handful of titles and that's your kind of barometer for. Yep, that's less powerful than that. Yeah. There's more to it. Yeah, it's it's much more nuanced than that, you know. But yeah, and Destruction Derby is another one, and they, you know, it's quite funny when you think of the whole history of Sony and Psygnosis. You know, Sony nearly went to sell Psygnosis because they were making these ports for the Sega Saturn and N sixty four. I thought those ports were almost sabotaged. You know, I love the Wipeout two hundred nine seven port because of the analog, analog. control, yep. but all of them are kind of like. Hey, you can play this here now, eight, 12 months later. But you know, do you, do you realize how much better they are on the PlayStation? Um, they're almost a death nail to the, co- the console itself. But um, yeah, the Saturn, the Saturn was capable of some amazing things. You know, Virtua Fire 2 was a 3D game. You know, there's 2D elements in it that replaced the 3D ones in the arcade. But yeah, it was the highest definition game on a console for a very, very long time, um, probably up until the end of the Saturn's lifespan. It, it's remarkable what they managed to do with that. And you look at games like Burning Rangers that came out in 1998, which, you know, the verticality and the, and the, the lighting effects, it's more than, it's, it's, it's for me, if it was a bit more polished and had less polygon glitching, which you think is probably down to the, the development time because the Dreamcast was obviously on the horizon. Sonic Team refocusing onto Sonic Adventure. You look at Burning Rangers, and it's 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 a match for anything on PlayStation. Metal Gear Solid that came out that same year on PlayStation. Panzer Dragoon Saga is a very impressive looking game, and even if you go into nineteen ninety seven, then the whole Sonic's Sonic's world in Sonic Jam is fantastic <laughs> looking. So. Yeah. The Saturn was extremely capable and very versatile. It's just unfortunately without the without the tools that the developers needed, and we're not going to sugarcoat it because this is all down to Sega. You know they they yep. mismatch, and and I think that's the that that's the that's the that's the point you have to kind of reconcile this with, because we're not going to stand up right now and say Sega were perfect. No, we know they made a. Complete hash of the Sega Saturn. It was 
commercial disappointment because of because they mismanaged it. You know, they they'll get the library in the West was restricted because they didn't get the right tools out, and because it, it was it was a pain to develop for. Um, this is all on Sega, but the performance of Sega in that period does not make the console itself and the fantastic games on it less worthy of praise. Yeah. You're absolutely right, mate. There's, there's no sugar coating it. I mean, if they had, you know, lodged it later, as we've discussed on previous shows, if the SGL had been ready, you know, to roll out from the start, who knows what, what could have happened. But yes, yeah, Sega's management in the West of, of the Saturn was was criminal. Um, you know, the surprise launch, you know, bringing the Western launch forward, you know, it was just absolute madness the stories about you know there's corroborations or different versions between japan and sega of america who was to blame they're blaming each other still blaming each other to this day as we've seen for the, the recent interviews there's still a wee bit of needle in there as well i think <laughs> either way but yeah sega made mistakes we know that and that again that's another thing that you see getting pointed at creators who try and kind of champion saturn as that you know or you're trying to paper over the cracks and mistakes that Sega made. No. As you said, the mistakes that Sega made as a company have nothing to do with what the the chipsets inside the black box under your TV were doing. Yeah. You know, the, those business decisions had nothing to do with the performance of the box. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, no, Sega made mistakes. Everybody is more than happy to hold their hands up and, <laughs> and admit that. But you, you can't, penalise a, a system and re try and rewrite its history based on decisions that a company made on when to launch it or whether development tools were available. What what it did whenever it was, you know, used properly by competent developers and rookies, let's not forget, let's look at Virtua Cop, you know, team of rookies, put that yeah. together. Even when I was doing the the big three video. I was reading interviews with Tetsuya Mizuguchi about, you know, the, the team that he put together. Six people <laughs> without using the SGL. And Mizuguchi was the only member of AM3 who was there. He's just standing supervising. Yeah. <laughs> and the one of the, the one of the six was someone who um did virtual racing, Mr. Hattori. He did virtual racing on the Mega Drive. Yeah. You know, it's just absolute madness. And I think I think in a way, um, and I think that the view that the Saturn was underpowered is something that is a popular misconception, primarily in the West, mm. because if you look at the the Japanese library, uh, and we'll come on to library in a couple of points time, but if you look at mm. the Japanese library, there are a lot of visually impressive games on there. Grandia is visually impressive, as I say, the the port onto the PlayStation has all sorts of issues. Um, you know, Tecmo, and then the Japanese Sega teams. Whereas in the West, even the Western Sega teams couldn't really get handled. Mm. You look at stuff like Gen War and uh, some some of <laughs> some of the the stuff that came out of you know Sega Technical Institute, um, and that was and that's a culture thing because people in because the teams in Japan were more used to coding for arcade boards. They were more used to coding in assembly. Which was, you know, if you wrote an assembly for the sake of Saturn, you were laughing. <laughs> How's the program for? What are you talking about? 
<laughs> well, that Jim Carrey gif, uh, Bruce Almighty, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Rattling a keyboard. Yeah, so it says around this point off, mate. It was it wasn't underpowered. The 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 the, the spec seat, you know, the the technical ceiling, which demonstrates that it isn't. And if you want more proof than that, then the games that are out there that really show what the system can do really do show that it's a system that's it's up there with the best of what the PlayStation could do. Um, and there's there's suspicions, you know, there's there's games that came out late in the co the console's life that give the hint that it could have been capable of so much more and. I used to think we'd never know, but hey, we've got our modern community porting Unreal, Metal Gear Solid, Final Fantasy VII that runs at a far smoother frame rate than the PlayStation original. So the sky's the limit. Maybe one that we, we are starting to see that the Saturn had so, so much more to give. Yeah. The the stuff that's been done by the community is is insane. The, the work that Frog Bull is doing, you know, those those demos and the one that he, the video we put out recently to address the the, the claims that he was faking the video, yeah. you know, running his Metal Gear Solid 2, uh, Metal Gear Solid, sorry, Metal Gear Solid 2 is his Dreamcast demo, uh, Metal Gear Solid on the, the Saturn with enemies and now with the lift coming down and the red light that comes down as the alarm goes off as the, the lift comes down, um, running brilliantly and it's got that gorgeous kind of Saturn texture look to it, obviously, yeah. but he's he's running it on a Fenrir ODE yeah, you know, amazing. it's there on real hardware. Um, well, hopefully one day we get to to get our hands on a, a build of it and give it a try. But um, you know, you've got to imagine that he's he's working on the next stages. Are we going to see when Snake goes up the lift? <laughs> he comes out and he goes, "Ah, oh, indeed, Colonel, <laughs> what's a Russian gunship doing here?" <laughs> see. Saturn fan, but I did have a PS1. I have completed Metal Gear Solid. Thank you. Oh, I've completed you know? it many times. Favorite Brilliant game on a PS1. Favorite game on a PS1. Brilliant game. Yep. But uh, okay, the next one, mate, is is one that we kind of had to have a caveat to. But um, the one thing that you heard all the time in in the uh, in the nineties when the Saturn was in its heyday is huh, the Sega Saturn can't do transparencies. It can only do the mesh effect. <laughs> And to a degree, it was right. And I think, I think, have you ever seen the Game Hutter video? So this is uh, the X Traveler's Tale stuff. Um, ah, yes, yes, yes. About how they did Sonic 3D, Toy Story, and Sonic R. And they have the, you know, and the point that we're going to make is that Sega Saturn could do transparencies, but there were certain things, you know, that rest that restricted it. Um, and I think the fact that it had to convert quads to triangles and they were kind of overlapping. So when you do that, when you make a transparent polygon or a transparent sprite and you have to loop it over and then you have to do every single of every other pixel, you know, one pixel is there, one pixel is there, so you get the mesh effect. Um, but yeah, it, ultimately, yes, because of the architecture, it had trouble, but it could do them. And there are some good examples of it. Yeah, I mean Sonic R is is one of the the best ones, you know. Not just the the shield bubbles, you know, or the the shield you get that, that kind of magnetizes the rings, and and you've got the yeah. the final stage, the bonus stage as well at the end. You know, it's completely transparent. The whole track is completely transparent. You're running along, you can see the stars and the the sky all below you. You know, yeah. it's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> um, and I think it's. VDP2 would have been responsible 
for doing proper transparencies. It would be the VDP one would obviously, if they were trying to do the transparencies at that part, that kind of would have led to your more mesh effect. But yeah. the kind of the the stuff we were seeing done with VDP two in terms of transparencies is when you actually seen something closer to to real ones. Like you look at the the water in the canyons of of Panzer Dragoon Saga. Yeah. You know, um, totally transparent. You can see all the detail on the the, the kind of the river beds and the, the kind of the, the rock formation sticking out the water. You can see the the bits that are underwater clearly. Shoot the fish. Yep. You know, absolutely amazing. The, the it it was there, but again, we're looking at titles that were coming out later in its life as people were getting used to the hardware, knowing what to nip and tuck and what to use each VDP for. Whereas, unfortunately, you would then get stuff like Wipeout that came out earlier, which would have, like, the mesh shields. And even yeah. on 2097, you had the laser trails that came out the back of the the vehicles. And, well, look, they don't look like lights. They're all meshy. And it's like, yeah. oh, for God's sake. Well, yeah, it could do them. It was just a case of using the hardware in the right way to, to get that result as best it could be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had early stuff like Guardian Heroes, um, well, some of the cloaks are like transparent. Um, Keo Fine, Fine Squadron 2 has got the transparent waterfalls, which look mm -hmm. stunning, and they're very VDP2 heavy. Um, and Burning Rangers has uh, has a couple of 3D platforming sections that have got that are on transparent platforms, and obviously the the fire is translucent fire. as well. Yeah, um, I was playing which, that earlier today as well, Burning Rangers, and was just blown away again by how. How great it looks, honestly. Just such a, a nuanced, clever, clever game. Really is. It really is. And then we have stuff like the Dracula X, um, Nocturne mm -hmm. of the Moonlight, where the HUDs, as programmed by Konami, were all mesh effects in the original. But, you know, um, the team behind the mod for uh, the English translation have completely turned those into pure transparency. So mm -hmm. it could be done. And uh, there are still some um, some parts that aren't transparent in Symphony of the Night and the Saturn, but, you know, it just goes to show that it, it could do them. There were still limitations. It wasn't as easy as, as PlayStation. Um, depending on how Fruple gets on with his Final Fantasy VII tech demos, I'd love to see if, like, Ifrit was on there, you know, where he's got the transparent fire <laughs> around him and then he hits them and then there's a big ball of transparent flame. Could the Saturn do that? That would be interesting. But... Yes, it couldn't do them as well as PlayStation, but it could do them. Exactly. It was all about using the hardware in the right way and making design choices as to what aspect of the visuals we're going to use, which VDP, that yeah. you could do them. So I say Sonic R is, is a great and readily available kind of example. If, if you've got it in your library just now, you know you can you can put it on and, and, and see for yourself easily, pick up a shield, so say get the, the the magnetized shield that picks up the coins for you, get to the last level, just stand there, even race it, just stand there and look around at <laughs> the, the, the grounds. You know, just look at look at that lovely purple, pinky kind of mm. track. Just look at the stars, look look at the sky below you. Amazing. It changes it changes color, doesn't it? Radiant everything. Yeah, different yeah. colors. It's different That's section it. of the track track of different colors. Yeah, beautiful yeah. stuff. So. The next one I've got, mate, is a doozy. And you know what? It, it boggles the mind that we still hear. I've done this in two parts. 
So the bulk of the mind that the first part still gets spoken about today. And the second part may be a little bit controversial, but I think we'll be a, we'll be in agreement on this. So it the two that I've kind of meshed together are one, the Sega Saturn has no good games. <laughs> the second <laughs> is that the Western Library was poor. Um so it had no games. I think by now anyone that's watching this should know that that's patently false. You know, the 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 total Saturn library is well over a thousand games strong, you know, multiple times larger than every other console that launched in that generation, apart from the Sony PlayStation, of course. And uh, it's got some absolutely fantastic games in there. We've got episodes dedicated to Japanese gems. We've got episodes dedicated to the brilliant arcade ports. There's just no shortage of of games when you're looking at the, we'll talk about the Japanese library and the Western Library first, and then we'll move on to the kind of the Western Library in isolation. But there's no shortages there, mate, and we're still discovering brilliant stuff today. Yeah. The the Japanese library is I think, you know, Jason Madison described it best. It's an Aladdin's cave, a, a Pandora's box, you know, I think it was two of the terms that he used. And, you know, there's just so much to discover. And in a way that the Japanese library, and, and you and I have both imported certain stuff in the past, kind of, you know, I've said before, after I got my Dreamcast and I kind of started working part-time when I was at college and uni and I could afford to start to dabble in going back and buying more import stuff, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would get, you know, it was more the kind of popular stuff, like your X-Men versus Street Fighter and, you know, your... Maybe your four megabyte RAM games and stuff like that, but now having ODEs, having the, the mod community, the Japanese library, it does give you more of an insight into just why the Saturn was so successful or popular in Japan. Because that library is, even if you take everything that we got in the West and then add all that to it. It's, it's a completely different system almost. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it takes on a totally different viewpoint. And the games that we've been, you know, blessed with the opportunity to play, you know, stuff like Dragon Force 2, The Shining Force 3, Scenarios 2 and 3, Bulk Slash, Stellar Assault SS, Vandal Hearts, you know, Dracula X, Not Turning the, the Moonlight. It's just there's so many things now. And I can't wait to see what's still to come you know shadows that shadows that of the tusk is coming single player in english as well there's just so much happening and again criticisms that have kind of been labeled as it or oh, you can't use the mod community and what they're doing now to say saturn's a success again we're not saying that but we're being given an opportunity to play these games in english and get a, an insight into just what the japanese players enjoyed when when they were there you know, yeah. in a way, you know, um, and the, the stuff that's been done is phenomenal. As we've spoken about before, the bulk slash stuff, the stellar assault stuff, they're employing, you know, voice actors to redo not just the, the, the spoken dialogue on screen, but actual cutscenes and things. So the amount of effort is amazing that's going in. But the Japanese library is just a wealth of... RPGs, fighting games, 2D games. Um, it's just, there's just so much there. Like, if you've got an ODE, you could fill an SD card up yeah. in the Japanese library and every day just 
randomly pick something and just let it uh, let it just have fun with it because yeah. there's so much there to discover. Yeah, and I think there's there's two sides to this coin. I think if you in- include the Japanese library, you've got a console that you know even objectively probably stands up to the PlayStation One. You know, we're obviously going to be biased because hey, we're the Sega guys. <laughs> and it's our favorite console of all time but even objectively i feel like maybe not a match for it but it's one that comes pretty close that generation uh and certainly eclipses what the n64 dad did as well as you know 3do jaguar cd32 and everything else that came out of that generation but the question the, the point about the western library being poor and i think this is the interesting one is the western library poor it's significantly worse than the Japanese one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not as strong as the PlayStation library would ultimately turn out to be. But I think between 1995 and the launch 19 and, and 1998, when the last game came out, it's certainly up there with... You know, it's pretty much blow for blow, almost as good as the PlayStation. When did when did Gran Turismo come out? That was ninety seven, was it? Yeah, uh, that was that was a year before um, Tekken three. Yeah, so and then obviously you get Metal Gear Solid didn't come until you know after yeah after the Saturn had been and gone. You look at the games that we did get in the West. Yes, we missed out on so many games that didn't come over here. But we still had Panzer Dragoon 1, 2 and Saga. We still got Virtua Fighter 1, 2, Remix Kids, Sega Rally, Dragon Force, Knights into Dreams, Burning Rangers, Guardian Heroes, Virtua 1, Virtua Cop 1 and 2, Shining Force 3, Deep Fear, Shining the Holy Holy Ark, Story of 4-2, Dark Saviour. I could go on and on and on and on and... You look at the raw numbers, and as many Sega Saturn games were released in the West, almost as the N64 had for its entire lifetime. And yes, people will always say, well, the N64 had had Zelda, yes, Mario 64. Mm. And yes, the, the and, and this was the same for the Super Nintendo versus Mega Drive. And we talked to we we actually talked to John Linneman expouses to me that. The Mega Drive had more of those games that were kind of pick up and play, whereas the SNES was the you know it had the the big masterpieces and it was very very. If you, if you look for, if you ask someone what their top ten SNES games are, they're probably pretty much all going to be the same top ten all the time. But if you ask for Mega Drive ones, they're going to get a range, and it's the same mm-hmm. with the Saturn and the N sixty four. Anyone that does a top ten games for the N sixty four is going to do Mario sixty four. Mario Kart 64, GoldenEye, Ocarina of Time. And now I'm struggling. Majora's Mask. <laughs> what is it? Uh, uh, Sticker says he has he has this thing about the N64. He says it only, only has six six good games. And I'm struggling to name a sixth one at the moment. But I'm not. And I'm. <laughs> Lilac Wars is great. Lilac Wars is actually my favorite N64 game. But I, and, and I do enjoy the N64. But the point that I'm trying to make is there were so many good games on the Sega Saturn in the West on its own. And the first party output was actually far in excess of what Sony had done for the PlayStation 1 in that same window and what the N64 had from Nintendo again in that same window. So yes, the Western version, the Western 
library was smaller, was more limited uh, than the Saturn library in general when you include Japan. But it's not a bad or limited library. It had fighting games, RPGs. You had racing games. You had arcade games of all sorts. You had simulation games. You had all sorts of sports games. Um, you know, if you're... And I know one of Sega Lord X's biggest issues is the fact that we didn't get decent ice hockey games or American football games. And I can kind of understand mm. that. But in yeah. terms of every other genre, I thought we were well-serviced. Yeah, that point you made about the uh, the library for Saturn between 95 and kind of 97, 98, kind of matching, look, obviously PS1 at that point. If you think of the four possibly biggest games, so I'm talking about Gran Turismo, Final Fantasy VII, Metal Gear Solid, and Tekken 3. They're all late 97, early 98, yeah. or mid 98, at a point when the Saturn is dying. So it's a fair point to make is that, again, people will throw those four games at you as a kind of rebuttal, but they came out and people will go, well, it doesn't matter when they came out, they came out. But well, the point we are making is that at the time when the Saturn was active, it was still blow for blow first party wise and a couple of third parties you know you're exhumed and Duke Nukem 3D Quake stuff like that the Tantalus stuff um, the treasure stuff that it was trading blow for blow there was plenty of content out there I mean it's something you see a lot is that people go oh the Saturn had no good games and even people saying the the ports of arcade games that it did were, were poor you know, recently had someone say that Sega Rally is a bad port. <laughs> um, and then in the same breath, they hadn't played it. But, you know, um, no, there's just there's so, much, there's so much good stuff out there. Again, if you just open your eyes and look for it. Yeah. And it's not difficult. Like, there's just something for everybody. What you're talking about, the N64, again, not just because we're the Sega guys. This was even back when I was an Amiga player when I was a Spectrum player, when I was an Atari ST player, I had no hankering for a Super Nintendo or an N64 at any point. You know, Nintendo games have never done it for me. I've tried, I've, I've, I bought a GameCube, I had the first DS, I imported a Game Boy Advance, a purple one with F-Zero. Um, so I have tried, but, you know, even got a Wii uh, and that we would eventually get traded in towards a PlayStation Three at launch. Um, I made good money in that for GameStation, by the way. I got a good, <laughs> I got a good price for that. I remember uh, the, uh, the 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 demand for Wii's at the time. Aye, but various hen's teeth. But aye, there's just there's so much good stuff out there on on the Saturn to look at. Um, N64 has nothing to hold a candle to a Grandia to a Dragon Force, to a Knights, to a Panzer Dragoon's Vi, to a Virtue Fighter 2, to a Sega Rally. It's got nothing to answer those. Yeah, you know? I mean... So it's just... But it's not a conversation to talk about this, our system's better than your system, but, no. <laughs> you know, it's... it's The point being is that the Saturn has got plenty of good games out there. Um, even, again, first-person shooters, as we mentioned, the Exhumed, the Duke Nukem's, the Quakes. Quakes an amazing port. That's ridiculous yeah. on a Saturn. It shouldn't be doing that. 
Um, there's definitely something for everybody. There's 2D fighters, even if you discount the ones that come out in Japan, like the the, the four megabyte RAM cart stuff, you've still got Street Fighter Alpha 2, the best version. You've got Children of the Atom, the best version. <laughs> Marvel Superheroes, the best version. King of Fighters RP- 95. You know, you've you've got obviously your so your RPGs, even if you ignore the Japanese stuff, you've got Dragon Force, Shining Force 3. Shining the Holy Ark, you've got so much there. You've got Mysteria. So, you know, the, the, the list could go on. We could have a we could have a, a top 100 Saturn games podcast quite easily. Yeah. You know, it's not difficult, but yeah, the, the old the Saturn has no good games um is is a just a barefaced lie. Does it have a lot of misunderstood games? Yeah. Possibly. But no, it's, it's the library has something for everybody. It really does. Yeah, and I think, and and we, I say this not to denigrate on the N64. I do have an N64. I enjoy my N64, um, and I love a lot of the games on it. I've got big fond memories of the playing N64 multiplayer. But when you say that, this, when people say that the Saturn's Western library is limited, you know, you look at genres for genre. Sega Saturn outdoes the N64, even if you just focus on the Western versions. The N64 doesn't have any big RPGs, doesn't have any proper 2D fight, decent 2D fighting games, doesn't have any decent 3D fighting games. Um, driving games doesn't have anything like Sega Rally, it doesn't have anything that plays like Daytona USA. Um, I could go on and on. And that's not to denigrate the N64, it's just to say that if you're saying that the Saturn doesn't have a good game, doesn't have a good library when you focus just on the West then I think if you compare it to its peers, you'll find that that is completely false. Uh, and I think the problem that we've all, we're always going to have is, uh, and we'll do this one day, but there was, there is unmistakably bias in the industry back when the Saturn was out. That's unmistakable. And uh, I think no, no more do you see that when you look into what the reviews at the time. I don't know if you've ever looked at the aggregated review scores for 1996 and what the top rated games were. Um, Mario 64 is the top rated game and even though I'm not a fan of it personally I can't argue that for what it did for the industry and how much mm-hmm. I mean even if, if when I first saw it I thought it was amazing and I thought it was the best game ever and I maintained it was good until I had to admit to myself I really am not enjoying playing this but it is it is a fantastic game what it, what it did in terms of innovation was amazing but the next game on the list rated at 90, something like 94% higher than anything else apart from Mario 64 is Wipeout 2097. And then you don't get to the Saturn games until you get to like 20th place, Nights into Dreams, like 87%. I mean, in what universe is Nights into Dreams not as good as Parappa the Rapper is higher than Nights into Dreams? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> yes, yes. Kick punch, it's all in the mind. Which, no. you know, love, love Parappa the Rapper. But right, it's, 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 no, it's yeah, Parappa the Rapper. I remember I got a, a demo disc <laughs> for the, the PS1 when I played that, and it was a great laugh, good fun, but higher than nights into dreams i think the problem we had back then is that the the gaming media and gaming public and gaming retail were in awe of playstation there was a lot of they they, they were just totally romanticized by it um and and it showed i mean wipeout 297 i love wipeout 297 on the saturn and on the the PlayStation. I played it on the PS1 before I played the Saturn version. I've got, you know, 
so many fond memories. The cold storage soundtrack, the the track that set at night with the rainfall, with the kind of the red neon lights. Playing that in PS One for the first time, that blew my mind. It looked incredible. But would I say that Wipeout Two Nine Seven, a futuristic racing game with weapons, is better than Nights Into Dreams? I I, I couldn't even not even having my Sega head on. I can't I can't put a Wipeout game above Nights. Yeah, you know. But I think again, it all just comes down to. The PlayStation at the time, it was new, it was fresh, it was exciting, it was doing something different, and everybody, I think, as I said, from media to retail, you know, were just just in awe of it, um, and were just, they just had blinkers on. It was just, it could do no wrong. It was Sony, and they were cool. Um, that's it, mate. That's exactly it. And, yeah, I mean, look at this, and I'll see, I'll see Tekken 2 is the fourth best-rated game that year. Fighters Mega Mix down at number 28, um, below Soul Edge, which is eleventh, uh, and I think, wait, wait. I think Soul Edge should be above Taken Two. <laughs> well, I, I have to disagree there. Uh, <laughs> Soul Edge, right? I can't play Soul Edge. It runs at thirty frames per second, which, unless you're the original Virtua Fighter, it's unacceptable. <laughs> but I think the thing that I think the reason why this is a pertinent point, and the reason why we bring this up, and the reason why it's important to discuss this around the whole that Saturn doesn't have any good games is you can't trust re- retrospective views of people that I a, haven't either played I haven't played them uh and b you know some of the journalists or top 100s that look back you can't even trust the reviews that we see here that we're looking at on on, on Wikipedia there are fantastic games that people love on the Sega Saturn that people did love on Sega Saturn when you get into kind of the less biased reviews but the ultimate thing is play it yourself there's so yeah. much to play. There's so much to play. There's something for everyone. I'm sure you'll find something you'll love. The Saturn had a solid, wasn't spectacular. The Western Library wasn't spectacular, but it had a load of great games in it. And yeah. if you if you delve into the Japanese library, you'll get even more than that. So Yeah. And what you said there, mate, about you know people doing reviews if they haven't played the game, retrospectives if they haven't played the game. See if I'm watching a channel or listening to a podcast and I hear someone's opinion on a, a doesn't have to be a Saturn game, it could be a Mega Drive game, a Dreamcast game, any game, if it doesn't matter, Xbox, PS5, PS4, whatever. And if they say the words right after in the same breath, but I haven't played it, why why should I take your, your point of view seriously? Yeah. You, 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 again, it's just regurgitating what you've heard, not what you've experienced. So, just play the game. You know, it's, there's games like we've done like content on here where it's been on games in the Japanese library. If we just came on here and, and spoke about them without playing them, you would see right through us because <laughs> you need to play these things and get get a grasp for them you know, how they work, what they were trying to do, play through, and don't just put it on for five minutes and go, that's nah, no bad. Play through a few levels, learn some moves, learn, some, you know, get into the story, and immerse yourself in the game, enjoy it, and then come away and go, right, what did I take from that? What did I like? What did I not like? What could have been done better? But again, trying to take it into account in the context of when the game came out, 
you know, because I think that's a difficult thing as well. And some people do it really well. Again, Pandemonium, Nick does it great. He's come in, fresh eyes, and he can look at it with the criticisms of today, but with the appreciation of what it did in its time. Yeah. That's what you need to try and do, is, is don't just judge it based on the eyes that have seen 4K and ray tracing and all the wonders that gaming has given us technologically. Just, if you're going to do a retrospective, if you're going to review a game from the past, please invest some time at it first. Yeah. All, all we're asking. Form your own opinions. Form your own. Yes. Don't even listen to us. You may not, you may not like it and that's fine, but yep. try it first. <laughs> Getting to the end now, mate. The next one, I think we can touch on this, um, but it's been proven. I mean, a lot of people say that the Sega Saturn killed Sega. And, you know, <laughs> obviously, obviously the Saturn wasn't the last console to come out. Um, that was the Dreamcast. Um, and I think it's widely accepted that the Dreamcast didn't kill Sega. It really, it really didn't. You know, it was the way it may have been the last console. It may have been the one that they had to stop and wave the white flag. But um, Sega were in dire straits. And obviously that's a lot of the time that's put down to the Sega Saturn that put them in that uh, position. Yeah. And uh, I'll be honest, I probably might have agreed with them before we saw the financial year 96 document. Yeah, demonstrated definitely. that Sega were hemorrhaging money and were in dire straits well before the Saturn came along. Yeah. That that fiscal year document was eye-opening. The retail deal that the US was, was hamstrung by. You know, yeah. yeah, we'll take on some stock, but you have to prove you've got X amount of inventory. And then if we don't sell it all, we'll sell it back to you and you've made a loss. Yeah. So you would, but that's what, again, Edie Majini was saying that in his interview, Sega of America would bring all this money in, then the stuff wouldn't sell, <laughs> and they had to buy it all back. Yeah. And there was no profit. So it looked at a glance like they were making money hand over fist, but at the other end, they were losing it. So, yeah, I think, I'm sure it was Mel did a video about the the kind of the tail end of the Saturn's life and the I can't, I'll try and find it. I'll put it put it in the description if I can. But he did like a chart, and it was basically showing like Sega's like wasn't like a market cap, but it was like cash reserves and like a, like a declining line, mm-hmm. and it basically showed that the Saturn kind of ate into what small reserves if any Sega had, yeah, and then the Dreamcast kind of sank it. But as you said at the start. Dreamcast didn't kill Sega either. Sega killed Sega. Yeah. <laughs> That's the harsh truth. But business decisions that Sega made, you can't point it at one console. Because I see people doing that with the Dreamcast as well and going, well, if Bernie Stoller hadn't cut $50 off the price of the Dreamcast <laughs> RRP, then Sega would have stayed afloat. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. Look, look at the US launch. Look at the money they made in the most successful 24 hours in entertainment history. And even that wasn't enough to save them. 98-odd million dollars in 24 hours. And that didn't save them. That that, that wasn't enough to to help. So in the end, it would be, you know, it would be Okawa who would, you know, forgive all these debts and, you know, essentially save the company. But Ah, uh, just no. It, there was no one system that that killed Sega. Um, it wasn't the Saturn, wasn't the Dreamcast. You know, the, wasn't even the 32X, which no, probably it, was the most harmful 
in terms yeah. of consumer trusts and hemorrhage yep. money, but yep. you know, having to sell the having to write down all of the uh unsold 32x inventory and turn it oh, into medical scrap. units or printers or whatever it was that they turned them into. Jeez, I, you know, the, the stuff about all those unsold nomads and game gears and copies of Sonic 2 and Genesis console, everything just sitting rotting away in a warehouse, Sega looking to get a price to, you know, try and recover some form of income by selling 32Xs for scrap. It got that dire. So, no, there's no one system that killed Sega, mate. Sega killed Sega. Business decisions killed Sega. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the last one we've got in here, mate, and I think this is a nice one to end it on, it was a bad console. You know, they've had people in social media <laughs> as recent as the, as the other day to say the console was shit. <laughs> yeah. Shit looks like garbage. Disaster was a word that was used several times. Um, you know, brilliant comment. Hazard Dragoon, cool game, but looks rubbish today. Get, get to episode four, mate, and tell me that. As you can down all those tunnels and left and right and all that, visually stunning still to this day, in my opinion. But no, it's not. Again, what? Why was it a bad console? Again, if you've not played one, and some of the the, the kind of content that we're talking about admitted on it, they didn't play one. So, what has educated you to say that, that it's a disaster? You know that it's that it's a shit console what's formed that narrative yeah you know again just play it just yeah. you know try it and i think it's these second-hand opinions and you you see it all the time there's all you, you if you talk if you search sake of saturn some of the old same old articles pop up and the same way why the saturn was a failure and you'll get you'll get flippant comments in articles you'll get it ranked like 20th in the best consoles of all time and say yeah it it, it had it had a decent copy of Virtua, a decent port of Virtua Fighter 2, but it was rubbish other than that. And it is just this this, this cursory view that people are overgiving it and not investing the time or just repeating the other stuff that they've they've seen or read it or heard elsewhere. I think the, the, the key takeaways that I've got on this, mate, and it, we said this at the beginning, there seems to be this constant misconstrue, misconstrued view where okay, this console didn't sell well, so it's crap. This console mm. sold brilliantly, so it's brilliant. And the PlayStation 2 is the greatest console of all time because it sold the most consoles. By that same token, is the Wii the second most, the second best console of all time? It's... <laughs> is, it, is the Switch the third best console of all time? You know, yeah. that, must be, that must be getting up there now. Yeah, maybe, maybe the Switch is number two, but sales don't equal quality. And... You know, and, and quality is always going to be something that's subjective. Yes, there's going to be, you know, more objective views of what's a great game. But you look at you look at the sound objectively, and there's brilliant stuff on there. And I think the way the way to say is it a, is it a bad console? You wouldn't have us eulogizing over it like we do now. If it was, you wouldn't have Sega Lord X, who's you know says it's his favorite console you wouldn't have the fantastic shiro group satin dave pat uh dan Frax, you know nick panda all those guys and the fantastic stuff they do you wouldn't have the amazing modding homebrew community that are going back recreating 
Sonic Extreme in various forms, you know, writing the wrongs that that we saw in the Sega Saturn in its lifetime in terms of, you know, ports that weren't what they could have been on the Saturn hardware, such as Castlevania. The ports we may have should have seen, like Final Fantasy VII and Metal Gear Solid, you know, tidying up games, improvement games, and the, these people have a passion. And uh, I think we talked about this in the previous podcast where for some reason it seems like the people that are pushing the envelope aren't the ones doing it on the Dreamcast. They're doing it on the Sega Saturn of all the consoles. The, the console that is, you know, the one the one that's less romanticized about in the West is the one that does seem to have the biggest and most ambitious homebrew community. Mm. And it's fantastic. It wouldn't have that if it was a bad console. It wouldn't have it. It was underpowered. And it wouldn't have so many fans if the library wasn't good. Yeah. And I think as well, people will quite cynically put that passion and the noise around the Saturn down to, or I said, it's just a retro renaissance. And it's like, well, no, like, we've we've got these these memories of, of this system that we had as a as a kid in our teens, even later on in in life, maybe maybe young young adult, whatever what time you came to it. But and again, just because we were there and played it when it was new, that that's not enough to turn and go, and that's why it's good because we're not here to tell you we are right and you're wrong. But where you are wrong is if you've never played one, and you simply turn around and go, "Oh, it was shit." Well, why was it shit? Because it sold crap. Well, let's put things in perspective, shall we? The Sega Saturn sold more worldwide than the Dreamcast. Not by much, and primarily in Japan, but then again, the Dreamcast primary market was probably the US because it bombed in Japan and it bombed in the in in Europe. So, you know, try to use the, the argument that oh, it had one market propping it up. Well, realistically, so did the Dreamcast. I had so, a very, I had a very you know, funny exchange recently. I love the PC engine. I've got a PC engine. And uh, I put a picture of that and the Dreamcast next to each other. I said, two small, compact, white consoles that were totally unappreciated in their time. And someone replied and said, the PlayStation, the, the, the PC engine was a success, sold loads in Japan. What are you talking about? A PC engine sold less in Japan than the Sega Saturn and sold less worldwide than either of the other two consoles. But for some reason, it held up as a success. <laughs> And it's a fantastic console, and anything that we say, a lot of a lot of what we say about, you know, the Saturn and the fact that it wasn't popular, but it has some brilliant games, going to be applied for that, and it could be applied to any console. You know, was the Sega Saturn a bad console? Absolutely not. Is there such a thing as a bad console? Probably. You know, the Atari Jaguar and some of the cut uh, the consoles from kind of the the second generation are in for a shout, but. Every console has redeeming features. Even if you don't rank the Saturn as highly as we do, I'm sure there's stuff that you'll find on there that you'll enjoy in its vast library of over a thousand games. It's not a bad console on that basis. You just no. need to discover what it is that's going to make the Sega Saturn special for you. Yeah. And again, if you are coming to the Saturn for the first time, whether it's just as a casual player, a content creator, whatever, Try and put yourself in the position of someone back 
in 95, 96, 97, when you are coming from perhaps a Commodore Amiga or a Mega Drive or a 32X, and you see Virtua Fighter 2 running for the first time, or you import X-Men versus Street Fighter in the 4 Meg RAM cut, and you see that, that fluidity of animation, no loading times, one station to the next, boom, boom, boom. You know, you see Sega Rally running, you pick up a Virtua Gun, play Virtua Cop, you play Panzer Dragoon. You know, just try and imagine what it must have been like to see those games at that point. Whether it's as a, a kid, a teenager, a young adult, if you've never played it before, just try and appreciate how we seen it. And again, goes back to that point Mel made. We're not saying, you know, you don't understand. We're saying, please understand, try. Try and judge these games and these systems on what impact they made when they were new, rather than take 20, 30 years worth of judgment and, you know, downtrodden opinions and continue to use them. Form your own opinions, play the game, play the system, try and look at it through the mind's eye of someone who did play it, you know, back then. And, and hopefully it manages to kind of work a wee bit of magic because, again, we're not trying to rewrite history. We're not trying to say Saturn was a success, you know, as much as it was the, the Sega console that beat Nintendo in Japan. Um, we're not trying to rewrite the narrative. We're just asking that the, the continued, you know, beatings and misgivings and misconceptions of, of the system are laid to rest why the Saturn field has been done to death. Let's start telling people why it was good. Yeah, let's, let's start telling people why it was good, why it was built the way it was, why it's still powerful, why it's a great system. And, you know, the information is out there. The games are out there for people to form their own opinions. So please, <laughs> if you're a creator and you're hearing this, you know, the information is out there. The games are out there. Try it for yourself and form your own opinions. Don't recycle some of the old, tired narratives that uh, are outdated and have been proven to be incorrect. Not by us. We're just gathering the information and giving it out for for people to view. But the information is out there. It proves that the Saturn wasn't underpowered. That it was built with 3D in mind from the beginning. That a GP that GPU was not thrown in there at the last minute. That it could do transparencies and. And it didn't kill Sega, but mate, that's it's. This has been a a, a great topic, a great conversation mm -hmm. to go back and forth and Enjoy just go that. through these points. It's um, it's almost like therapy, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's kind of what this podcast is, mate. It's, <laughs> it's like my my act with each other's therapist, isn't it? It's just, yeah. I mean, the, the next episode will be filmed just lying on a couch. It's just like lying down. <laughs> tell tell me what 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 went wrong this week? Um, but no, <laughs> I, I do enjoy it, mate. These kind of more you know, topical deep dive discussions. I, I do enjoy them. And I think just given what we've kind of witnessed recently on socials and other content, I think it is it's a worthwhile discussion. And hopefully, as you say, people take away from it that it's not gatekeeping, not us saying we are right, you're wrong. We're just asking if you're going to create content around the Saturn, just educate yourself a bit, research it, play it, experience it, form your own opinions. Don't just regurgitate what you've heard already. Yeah, absolutely. There, as as Mulder said, the truth is out there. But 
Mate, I, I, I was, I was, pan- I was kind of thinking about saying that about five minutes ago, and I thought, no, we're kind of quite serious here just now. So I think a, a Mulder impression wouldn't have got in well. But <laughs> there you go. See, if we're still in sync, mate. That's it. Yeah, we are. But right, well, it's back over to you, listeners, viewers. You know, what do you think? Is there anything that we've missed? How do you feel about Sega San? Is it misrepresented? How do you feel about these myths? Have we debunked them, or is there more that we should be debunking? Get in touch over through the comments below if it's live on the live chat the radio sega discord the sega guys discord which is uh which is a beehive of activity these days and even if you want to support what we do why don't you think about becoming a member with tons of exclusive content and perks from just 99p and talking of members james if you'd like to remind us who is supporting the show today and certainly can we have i am mikowski we have stiff peaks we have g-man we have Sega Saturn Lad and we have Andy Mackey, um, our premium members. But thank you very much to all of our members and our subscribers. I mean, if if a monthly subscription, you know, isn't isn't your thing, no problem at all. We appreciate you, you know, supporting us by you know liking, sharing, subscribing, getting involved in the comments, joining the Discord, getting involved on X. Any support and engagement is appreciated. So thank you very much, everyone. As we said, we just want to build a community of like-minded San Sega fans here. But uh, yes, that'll do it for, t- for today. So until next time, you must play Sega Saturn. You must. And we will see you on the Sega side. Sega! <laughs>